I said earlier, we have Ed Williamson here to present his second in a row uh, presentation to us. So let's give him a welcome. You would please turn in your Bibles to Matthew, the 22nd chapter, verses 15 through 22. And as you're turning, I was curious how many of us who like to study the Bible have figured out something as we're listening to the news about the war in Israel and all these things. Many of you remember from the, at the time that this passage was taken, uh, Rome was a uh, Palestine and Israel was considered a protector of Rome. And then in AD, in AD 70, they rose up and tried to throw off Roman uh, rule. And Rome came in and destroyed them, destroyed the temple and everything. And it was Rome's rule until the, the uh, Byzantine Empire. And then after the Byzantine Empire came the Ottoman Empire up until World War I. And then the British came in and they called it Palestine and they took it over and they, they were there until right after World War II, when the United Nations, uh, because of the oppression of the Jews and the Holocaust and all these things, deeded over Palestine to Israel. And so the question I have for folks that uh, should be paying attention is, when was there a Palestinian empire? When was there a Palestinian state? There never was one. And so I always like to point that out to people. We are servants of our history. If we know our history, we can never be fooled. But if we refuse to learn our history, not only can we be fooled, but we get to repeat it over and over and over again. Uh, Matthew, the 22nd chapter, verses 15 through 22, reads, Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to trap him by what he said. So they sent their disciples to him, along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know you are truthful and teach truthfully the way of God. You don't care what anyone thinks, nor do you show partiality. Tell us then, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Perceiving their malicious intent, Jesus said, Why are you testing me, hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. Whose image and inscription is this? He asked them. Caesar's, they said to him. Then he said to them, Give then to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And when they heard this, they were amazed. So they left him, and they went away. May God add his blessing to the reading of his most precious word today. I was happy to see that Aberdeen Church does a men's pancake breakfast. Uh, we do them all the time. And as you can tell by a sideward view, I'm a fan. In the South... Uh, we, we call them prayer breakfasts. And uh, we have people, uh, one of my churches was Mendenhall Baptist Church, uh, Macedonia Baptist Church, uh, Oak Forest Baptist Church, churches that I came to know the Lord in. And uh, my favorite was when the farmers would get up and, and, and pray. And I want you to understand that if you're a farmer and you're plowing a row and you're a Christian, you get to think about a lot of things as you're plowing. Some of you can relate to that. 
And uh, a pastor at Macedonia Baptist Church decided that they were going to have a prayer breakfast, and he was going to call on an old, old, on an old, old, wow, can't talk today. He said, I'm going to call on an older farmer, decked out in his bib overalls, to say grace for the church prayer breakfast. And the farmer stood up and he said, Lord, I hate buttermilk. The farmer began. And the pastor opened one eye to glance at the farmer, and he wondered where this was going. And the farmer proclaimed more loudly, Lord, I hate lard. Now the pastor was growing concerned. And without missing a beat, the farmer continued, And Lord, you know I don't care very much for raw white flour. And now the pastor's got both eyes open. He's looking around the room. And the deacons were looking around too. They weren't the only one that was uncomfortable. But then the farmer said, But Lord, when you mix them all together and bake them, I do love warm, fresh biscuits. So Lord, when things come up that we don't like, when life gets hard, when we don't understand what you're saying to us, help us to relax and wait until you're done mixing. It will probably be even better than biscuits. Amen. The news we're hearing from Israel is terrible. And y'all know I spent some time there, lived there, time enough to get to know some very good folks, time to walk the paths that the prophets and the priests and even Jesus walked. And when I hear about the killings over there and the propaganda on the news network and the nonsense coming from the most educated people in our country about the opinion they want us to have, I can only shake my head in disbelief. But then I remember in the toughest days of my life where I thought I was going to die and God made a way, a way I could never have come up with on my own and brought me safely to the other side, I can only imagine that God has something in mind for His people Israel, something that in the end will, be, will prove to be a blessing for them and an object lesson for those who commit evil on the earth. Our passage today deals with a trap, a very cunning and well-thought-out attempt at getting our Lord in trouble with the Roman authorities. The Jewish King Herod or the Jews themselves. The passage is set during the last week of Jesus' life on earth. The Sadducees represented those who care for the temple. The Herodians were followers of King Herod and would not stand by for any disrespect. And the Pharisees who followed the law so closely that they never had to worry about sinning. In setting this trap, they failed to take into account several key points. The first point that I want to talk about is the concept of God's sovereignty over all things. This is a fundamental belief in Christianity that God as the creator and sustainer of the universe has absolute authority and control over everything in existence. It's comforting and it's a powerful truth that can shape our understanding of the world and our place in it. But this was a question designed to trap him. The Pharisees and the Herodians were trying to force him into a corner where he would either alienate the Jewish people by supporting Roman taxes or get in trouble with the Roman authorities by denouncing them. But Jesus in his divine wisdom sidestepped their trap and used the opportunity to teach about the sovereignty of God. Verse 21, when Jesus asked, whose image was this on the coin? 
They answered, Caesar's. And then he said, Render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. With this statement, Jesus acknowledged that while Caesar had a certain level of authority, God's authority was still supreme. Caesar's image was on the coin, so it belonged to him. But who made the metal in the coin? Who created the people who mined the metal, minted the coin, and whose hands it passed through? It was God. And this extends to all aspects of our lives. We may have bosses at work, leaders in our community, or officials in government, and they have a certain level of authority given to them. But it is God who is ultimately in control. He is the one who allows them to have that authority, and he can take it away. This understanding, if we really give it some thought, can give us peace in times of turmoil and uncertainty. He is also in control of our personal lives. He knows our past. He knows our present. He knows our future. He knows our joys. He knows our sorrows, our victories, and our failures. Nothing but nothing is hidden from Him. This can be a comforting thought because it means that we are never alone. God is always with us, guiding us, and working out his perfect plan for our lives. But this requires submission on our part. It means recognizing that his ways are higher than our ways, and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. It means trusting him, even when we don't understand what is happening in our lives. It means our surrendering our desires, our plans, and our will to him. I mentioned Macedonia Baptist Church. And uh, we were in a church uh, Sunday school class when I was a child. And I didn't realize the depth of the lesson I was about to learn. But the deacon that taught our Sunday school class was late, very late. We were 10 minutes into the Sunday school class, and we're all sitting around talking to each other, twiddling our thumbs. And we wondered where the deacon was. Well, it turned out that our deacon was duty deacon. Once a week, a deacon had a, a job to do, and one of them was picking up members of our church who couldn't drive anymore, but still wanted to come to church. And so this deacon had to pick up a lady and bring her to church. And when he got there, uh, she wasn't quite ready yet. And she took her time getting ready. Uh, this lady also was blind basically uh, she could get around the house but she couldn't drive and her hearing wasn't so good either so the deacon knew whatever he said to her wasn't going to make any difference she was going to plod along at her own pace and so as you can imagine this deacon is getting more and more frustrated just like some of us and I'm sure some unsavory thoughts was coming to his mind I'm sure he was wondering what kind of trouble he was going to get into if he just drove away but he, he bit his tongue and kept his peace and picked up her. Her name was Junie Mae Brown. Put Junie Mae in his car and came on into, in, into the church. And like I said, he pulled into the church and she was starting to sense his frustration. So she was getting a little rebellious on him. And the deacon was really getting mad. And to make himself heard, he almost had to shout. 
So he gets out of the car and he runs around to the other side because this is the south. Runs around to the other side, opens the lady's door, sticks out his hand, but instead of saying something, you know, like, let's go, let's go, said, Junie May, why do you even come to church? You can't see and you can't hear. Why do you even come to church? Junie Brown said something. Shut him up. He was very quiet bringing her into the church on his elbow. And he brought her in and sat her down. Then he came over to our Sunday school class. And he was 15 minutes late. And he said, let's get to the lesson. And he started teaching that lesson. But you could tell he was subdued. Something Junie May said to him so affected him that it, it gave him pause. And I have to admit, uh, we sat through the church service. And the pastor was a good preacher. I can't remember a word of what he said that day. I was curious, what did Junie May say to that big old deacon that shut him up so good? And after church, again, he's duty deacon. So uh, he's behind the church smoking a cigarette. Yes, in those days, we didn't know how bad it was. So he's, he's out there killing time smoking a cigarette. And I went up to him and I said, Sir, I, I have to tell you, we, we all heard you yelling in the parking lot. And he got a little red. And I said, I, I'm just curious, what did Junie May say to you that, that, that made you so quiet? He says, well, I yelled at her. I didn't mean to, but I did. I couldn't help myself. And I told her, why do you even come to church? You can't hear and you can't see. Why did you come to church? Junie May looked at him and said, I come to church so people will know who I belong to. For us, we used to have a thing back in the 70s when the Jesus Revolution was going on in Jackson, Mississippi. And Billy Graham would always ask a question. If, when Christianity becomes illegal, is there enough evidence to get you arrested? Is there enough evidence to take you to court and get a conviction? It's a very complex topic. We get so into our normal lives that a lot of times we don't really think about what God wants for us or what God's say is in our lives. We, we kind of go on our way. It's not always easy. We like to be in control. We like to know what's going to happen next. But when we surrender to God's sovereignty, we are acknowledging that He knows what is best for us. We are trusting that He loves us and has a good plan for our lives. Deep and complex. But it's also a beautiful and comforting truth. It's a reminder that no matter what happens in our lives or in the world around us, God is in control. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the Alpha and Omega. The beginning, He was there. At the end, He'll be there. Then we come upon the problem with Caesar. And by Caesar, I'm talking about the government the state and local administrators that believe they have ultimate authority over our lives. The ones that look at our Christian faith and want to have a say in how we practice our beliefs. And some of you might say, well, that's not so. Nobody has told me how to practice my Christian faith. Nobody has said anything about that. Well, if you're a pastor, you know you had control. There was something that uh, President Lyndon Johnson Put out, And some of you might wonder why Lyndon Johnson wasn't very popular with pastors. And the reason for that was in 1954, 
he wrote and, and brought into law something called the Johnson Amendment. It's a provision in the U.S. tax code that prohibits all 501c3 nonprofit organizations for, from endorsing or opposing political candidates. Section 501c3 organizations are the most common type of nonprofit organization in the United States, ranging from charitable, charitable foundations to universities and churches. During this time this amendment was in effect, pastors needed to take special care of what they said during campaign season. If a politician felt that a pastor of a church favored his opponent or he was against him, he could contact his local IRS office and report them. And it's one of the most closely kept secrets. You don't hear it very often when a church loses their nonprofit status, but it happened. The church of Pierce Creek lost its tax-exempt status because they were against Bill Clinton for president. You might remember the Monica Lewinsky scandal. And this church said, we can't support him. And the pastor was preaching, don't you dare vote for Bill Clinton. You know what he's done. He's not a godly man. Don't vote for him. And it got out. And they took their tax-exempt status. And it took a long time for them to get it back. Thank goodness on May the 4th, 2017, the president signed an executive order that directs the executive branch to limit its enforcement of the Johnson Amendment. Now some of you are saying, but that still doesn't, that's pastors, still doesn't affect us. Sure it does. How many of you remember the desire of the Center for Disease Control to shut down churches when the COVID epidemic became widespread in this country? How many of you forgot about that? That you were controlled by the government? They told us that churches would be COVID hotspots and they must be closed. And a great many churches tried to be mindful of COVID and went to outdoor services where you sat in the car and you turned your radio to a, a local station that they were broadcasting from. But this wasn't good enough. In Yazoo City, Mississippi, the mayor sent his police to go car to car in the church parking lot of Yazoo City Baptist Church issued $1,000 fines per car. And when the governor of Mississippi, Tate Reeves, heard about it, he immediately pardoned everybody in the city of Yazoo City that went to church that day, squashed all of those tickets. Many of you might have heard that pastors sued their state governments to regain their First Amendment rights and protections. And even in a state like California, they won their cases. So I always like to remind people, just when you think that you're not under control by the, state, by the state government or the local government or the federal government, yes, you are. It can happen just like that. Jesus was under threat from the Pharisees and the Herodians because if he said it is legal to pay Roman taxes, he ran the risk that his Jewish followers would abandon his teachings and quit being his disciples or even assassinate him. If he answered that it was not legal to pay Roman taxes, then the Herodians would attempt to capture him, haul him before King Herod, who would refer him to Pontius Pilate for his execution. And we all know that in the timeline of the Bible, this is exactly what happened a week later. Jesus uses a word that we often misuse. That word is the word for hypocrite, or in the Greek, hypocrites, meaning literally, to play act, to give an answer you're supposed to give. Hence, a pretense. Or a hypocrite is a person who attempts to live two lives simultaneously. 
The public persona is an act or a pretense. The real persona is lived out in private. In many cases, though, such people are often caught out when they're seen in, in private behaving contrary to their public persona or when their true persona peeks out in public. I'll tell you a story you've never heard before. All right? Uh, my ship was in South America. And I was visiting a missionary. I, I made a habit of visiting our Southern Baptist missionaries when my ship would come into port. And uh, this Baptist missionary was shaking his head. He couldn't believe what had happened. Uh, President Carter and Rosalind Carter, his wife, had come in for a visit. And while they were there, the local Baptist congregation, since they knew the Carters were Baptist, asked them would they come to their church service. And the State Department said, absolutely, the Carters would love to come to your State Department, would come with the, through the State Department, would come to your church. And so the, the people were all excited. Yes, I'm, I'm a member of a South American congregation, but I've got a brother and sister in Christ that live in the United States that run that country. They're the president and his wife, and they're going to come to our church because they're Baptists too. And it was a really big deal. And they got him a present they really couldn't afford. And so the time came, the church service, and they were waiting. President Carter and Rosalind never showed up. Monday morning, there was a paper, and on the paper, front page, Rosalind Carter is on her knees in front of the, in the Roman Catholic Church taking communion. And the headline was, she says she's Baptist, but is she? And it destroyed Baptist work in that town in South America for the longest time. Hypocrite. The State Department told her, no, 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 the Roman Catholic Church is who you need to go to. And you need to, and we'll arrange for you to take communion even though you're Baptist and you're not supposed to. Everybody was hypocrites that day. But in this case, Jesus called the Pharisees hypocrites because their opinions and convictions are not based on God's word but on what people around them would think of them, and they would never give a chance to hear the opinion of others. It did not matter who Jesus was to them. He was a threat to their religious control and their ability to be well thought of in their communities. Jesus' reply to the Pharisees in this case gives us direction in addressing the problem of Caesar. He holds up a coin, in this case a denarius, by the way, you were not allowed to pay your taxes with Jewish money in Israel. You had to have Roman money to pay your tribute or your taxes. You might remember if you went to the temple, they did the same thing to you. You had to turn in your Jewish money for temple money. Jesus holds up that Daenerys and asked, whose face is on the coin? And when they told him, Jesus told them again, render unto Caesar the things that are his Render to God the things that are God's. When Jesus said we are to give God the things that are God's, he was stressing the fact that all service, gratitude, glory, and love due to God should be constantly and gladly given to him. Nothing must be withheld. You know, I, I always like to remind people, you know, we're sitting here in a worship service, and I love worship services. All right, I love him. I love the fact that when two or more are gathered in his holy name, that he promises to be with us in this service. I love that. I love that. But one of my army chaplains preached a sermon one time, 
And it really, it really shook me. He said, worship is not a noun. Worship is a verb. Worship is something that you do all the time, whether you know it or not. And the way you behave in front of people, a lot of times gives them an impression that God is good and we should follow. Or church is full of hypocrites and we need to ignore them. There's that, that two lanes of the same highway. Nothing must be withheld. One does not give God what is his due by plotting to destroy his beloved son or do the things that get in the way of somebody coming to know Jesus as their Savior and Lord. But this is exactly what the Pharisees and their teachers was trying to do. Their question had boomeranged. They hoped to trap Jesus on the question of tribute to Caesar. However, he exposed their failure to give tribute to God. Galling as it was, they really didn't give Caesar his due either. <coughs> Jesus is saying that they did owe something to Caesar. They were using his coins. They walked down Roman roads. And Rome did provide them with a measure of peace. So they did owe something to Rome. And although they did owe Caesar something, that did not remove their responsibility to God. But they had disregarded the claims of God on their lives. In conclusion, we're God's children. Each and every one of us. We are His creation. Created to do good works. Created to give glory to the Creator. Jesus answered their question by demonstrating that government does have a rightful place in everyone's life. And that one can be in subjection to government and God at the same time. As God's children, we're called to remember each other in prayer and also to pray for those over us. 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4, Paul writes, Therefore, I exhort first all that all prayers supplications, intercessions, <coughs> and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all. You know, we're entering in to the Christmas season. I'm already starting to see those countdown clocks. I don't like them. Because they remind me that I've got a lot of people I love. I love dearly. And I want to do something for them that'll show my love for them. There are people that work with me in our mission at the VFW. <coughs> and I want to do something that shows my appreciation to them. But deep in the back of my head, I'm asking myself, what have I done to show my appreciation for God? What have we done to show God that we truly love Him? <clears throat> and what have we shown the city of Pueblo that our love for God is so rich and so real and so needful for this town that we need to share it with each and every one? God bless you each and every one. Let's go to our time of invitation, shall we?